0: to shoot the piano player a french new wave podcast i am spencer and uh a a while ago i did mention like we're going to cover another tati at some point and we're basically at the end and well i fulfilled that promise and uh yeah uh joel I, i picked the one that i know you you dearly love yeah, this one,
1: for some reason, was, like, shockingly, I don't know, it was just totally my vibe when I watched it. I guess I kind of was like, uh, eh, we'll see what happens, and then maybe it was that kind of thing where I wasn't expecting anything. But, yes, I, I kind of love this movie.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think it's
1: i think it's perfect no matter what, but, yes, anyway.
0: Oh. And uh, Dave is here, because I know uh, Dave Eves. Uh, eternal uh, guest, never the host. Yeah. <laughs> The, the, the Charles Nelson Ridley of
2: the uh, of the podcast world. <laughs> yeah. Yes, thank you for having me, and thank you for inviting me to talk about one of my favorite directors, Jacques mm-hmm. Tati, and, and a movie that honestly does not get enough like press or credit because it doesn't feature the Hugh Lowe character. Uh, <laughs> the short effect is great, and I even forget that sometimes, so I'm glad that mm. you guys gave me an excuse to rewatch it.
0: Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, so, do you have like a Dorian Gray setup where. Uh, you have to keep casting so you can keep your youth.
2: If, if I do, I failed for a while because I, I did not do a lot of podcasting during the pandemic and if that was the and that actually might explain a lot of the gray hairs that I've been seeing lately. So hopefully uh, this episode will will keep me eternally young.
1: Okay because like yeah you, that's the problem with the Dorian gray thing as soon as you stop for a little bit you just start to age faster rapidly and you're like oh no. <laughs> and then you can't just get that time back
0: no yeah and you'll be on next season because uh, I don't know if I mentioned but next season there's a uh, Bergman connection that I always kind of forget that o- o- Mordovar, uh directly comments on a Bergman movie in one of his movies uh, my other favorite director that comments on Bergman is Woody a- oh never mind <laughs> <laughs> yeah like in the movie they say like well you know like the Bergman movie uh, Autumn what's it called Autumn Sonata. Autumn Sonata? Yes.
1: Sonata. That's what it is.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of the same I don't plot. Know what is. It's kind of, sort of. Anyway, yeah. So, uh, Jacques Tati, J Dog. Uh, have you seen. I know you've seen the. Um, what? The vacation. I've seen one. the. Ho- What's that? Well, you've seen all of them?
1: No. Why? What oh. are you talking about?
0: <laughs> you've seen Hulo's Holiday. Yes. And this one? Yes. Any Have you seen any others?
1: You know, I, I, I started Playtime on time, and I just wasn't, like, in the place where I could concentrate it. Like, there were a bunch of people that were... Uh, I was still... Uh, yeah, I think it was before I'd ever move, even moved out of my parents' house, so it must have been, like, Hulu Criterion time. And a... Yeah, for some reason, there were just a bunch of people in the house making noise, and I really wanted to concentrate, because it, like, just the beginning looked really interesting. But did not go back until we had to talk about it here, when you forced me to do it <laughs> okay. against my will. Yeah. Playtime's interesting like that, because there's two different
2: scenarios in which watching it is perfectly acceptable. One is which in which you're paying absolute one thousand percent attention to everything going on the screen going on on the screen or the times where you're just kind of sitting back and just letting it wash over you so i, I wouldn't recommend that second way being the first way to watch it right
0: I th- uh okay i just need to check something um yeah so i th- i when i first started watching tati movies i think i started with this one just on a whim. I thought well it's the first one so I might as well start with the first one and uh I I uh you know fell in love with uh Tati's work he's my favorite French director yeah I think I I think I'd still say that uh no actually Agnes Varda is moving up there but uh she but she has uh, she has not dethroned Tati yet but I'm pretty sure she will once I see more of her movies um but yeah so um uh this one i have always really loved i like it more than traffic but traffic is you know and and, and all their last one is you know it's pretty good but the, the end of his career is kind of not uh as good as the earlier part
1: it became like a perfectionist right oh yeah a perfectionist without any money to make his movies yeah, that's that's a difficult that's the kind of perfectionist I am except I don't make movies, so it's less uh
0: yeah, like you play, know, less burden on myself. Yeah, Playtime like uh ruined him financially for the rest of his life. And, and
2: traffic kind of feels like a, I got to make I got to make a movie to make some money.
0: Oh uh, yeah, and like I cuz I, I I I remember correctly, Hula was not supposed to be in that movie. Like the only like only way it'd be financed would be if hulo was in it and he didn't that, want to do oh that gosh. character anymore
2: yeah that does not surprise me at all because you can just kind of see in playtime how hulo is just kind of like drifting further and further into the background like every passing second and that's the way he's kind of supposed to be as just this character that just exists within this world he's not the main character and like right out of the gate in traffic it's like hulo front and center but uh and that and And part of me, I know obviously Tati, he was a perfectionist, he wanted to make his own art, and he had so many offers to take the Hulo character to Hollywood and he would have made lots and lots of money and probably made 70,000 Hulo films and would have been horribly unhappy but I I would want to take a glimpse into the alternate reality in which he did that, just to see more of that character, personally
0: Yeah, he definitely would have crossed over with um, uh, uh, Jerry Lewis, because Jerry Lewis was a huge Uh, tati fan
1: yeah what about uh so traffic was the last one where hulo uh, appears it's his last theatrical movie parade
2: after that was made for tv and hulo was not in that one okay
1: uh so at the end of traffic does hulo like fall off his bicycle hilariously, but he somehow has the infinity gauntlet, so he just snaps his fingers. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I think that's the only real way to make sure a character is not going to come back. Yeah, right, like, it's never going to come back.
2: I wouldn't be ever. surprised if, if Jacques Tati was keeping him around just in case he ever needed to
1: bring him back. It hmm. seemed like he, I mean, he had a, he had a deep artistic love for the character right that that yeah. makes a lot of sense to me why you wouldn't want to it takes a very brave person to do that like stand by your more whatever you consider your morals or your, your scruples even if it's going to make you probably rich like I, I probably would not be able to do that if anyone wants to pay me millions of dollars to adapt any of my podcasts just let me know
0: yeah, well uh, like like playtime was a a commercial failure and he used his own money and that that just like ruined ru- ruined him for the rest of his life yeah. and he had to sell the rights to his movies and uh it was a it was a mess trying to get the rights back and his kids eventually got it back and it's a whole uh complicated thing
1: I was just imagining like knockoff. Hollywood versions without him in it as the character Hulo or Hulo
0: you, know, uh, you some guys sort of
1: Pink Panther for, uh, situation.
0: Uh, you guys, I uh, talk for a little bit. Uh, I gotta get the door.
1: Yes, so we will fill the Dave, void. Tell me, tell me your history
2: with this director. I, uh, so my first experience with Jacques Tati believe it or not, starts with Out Jacques Tati. Have you seen the animated film from the, uh, I think it might be 2011, uh, The Illusionist? Yes. Yes, I have. Uh, Which is based off of an unproduced screenplay that Tati had written. Um, And it very much brings the character of Hugh Lowe back to life in a certain way. Although it's not Hugh Lowe, it just bears the likeness of Jacques Tati and uh, right. I, I'm gonna butcher the uh, the director's name. He also did the triplets of Belleville. Yes, uh, Sylvain Sha I get a little. That's funny. I have
1: no idea what his name was.
2: I I at least know the first name enough to mispronounce it. But uh, if anyone's never seen. That, I highly recommend it. Obviously, it's better to see the, the real article before you check that out. But uh, that being my intro point, it suddenly made me very interested to see more of what this director had done. And for a long time, uh, and by a long time, I mean the, the couple years between when I saw that and when Criterion released the full box set with all of Jacques, T's, Jacques Tati's films, mm-hmm. uh, I had no way of seeing them. Uh, and then obviously when uh, Criterion put out that box set, I mean, he only directed six feature films. It's very easy to uh, go in and uh, binge-watch all six, and they're all very entertaining. They're all very much... It, I, I, it's very hard to see a director that has made so few films have such a singular style, and especially just from the outset, you can see it so obviously in Jor de that this is the yeah. person that he's going to be. These are the films he's going to make. That style changes very little. You get a little bit more melancholy, I think, as he gets a little bit older, but ultimately... He, he loves directing about uh, a certain place over a very short period of time and does it wonderfully by filling that world with a cast of unique and eccentric characters in which he usually plays a central character to that who is typically, even in a world of weirdos, he is the outsider. He is weirder than anyone else that he is around, and yeah. uh, that, <laughs> it, it just makes it an absolute, absolute delight.
1: Yeah, you know, in this movie, uh I don't think he stands out. I mean, he stands out because we see so many of his his particular pratfalls, but every everyone in this city is kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, and I think
2: what makes him stand out is the fact that he like everyone's just kind of doing their own thing and he's almost the only person there trying to yep. do his job because he yep. plays the mailman. He has to get his job done. He has to deliver the mail and he's doing it in a lackadaisical manner anyways, and it's almost like everyone thinks, like, how are we going to stop him this time? What are we going to do to uh, distract him? Let's get him drunk, let's have him do this, let's have him do that. So he's being picked on by everyone, which uh, yeah. is entertaining and uh, comical to it all to itself. Because he's just, his character is completely oblivious to the fact, in a sense, that that's what they're trying to do. So he can't yeah. stop it. He has no, he, he does not have the faculties to to stop it, I, I'm pretty sure that this might be one of the earliest cases of a character that is clearly, uh, maybe has Asperger's or at least somewhere very low on the spectrum, uh, where where they just kind of view the world in a way that doesn't quite line up with everyone else. Yeah.
0: All right, uh, I'm yeah. back. Uh, my dad had uh, stuff. He he's gonna pick up for me, and I didn't want Freya to bark and make things annoying. Oh, that's a, that's a tall order to prevent. I know, but she would bark- at any noise at the door. She goes fucking insane.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> how do you stop a dog from being a dog? Yeah, I know. Can't I'd... teach an old dog new tricks. That's Practice. true.
2: <laughs> and Sylvain Chomet, I believe this is how you pronounce his name. Uh, we, we, we went on a slight mm-hmm. uh, tangent onto the illusionist. 2010 is when that movie was made.
0: Oh, uh, did you talk about the 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 other child Tati had?
2: We did not, because that because that screenplay was written about his uh, his uh, love his his illegitimate child. Right yeah. when he found out that he had an illegitimate daughter, he wrote that movie about that relationship. And uh, no, so we did not talk about that
0: yeah uh before he was married he had a, a a child with a Czech woman and from what i read which is only like one, one thing like he knew she was pregnant but uh he left mm. from mm. that's the one thing that's only from one thing i don't know uh all the facts and uh and the family wanted them to get married, and he didn't want to get married. So he was like, well, I'm going back to France. So he did. And then uh, when he got famous, you know, then he learned, like, oh, he has another kid. And uh, he didn't really acknowledge that kid. Or, like, it was, it was a weird situation uh, with, like, the, with the other child. and. Hmm because uh, like, she's the, she's still alive and his son from his marriage is still alive but his daughter Sophie the one who had commissioned uh, the color restoration of uh, this movie for of this movie and other stuff like she died uh, uh, like 10 years ago or something but she, she's no longer alive but yeah, I was other- say
2: that has to have happened fairly recently I thought she was still alive.
0: I think Sophie's dead. I know.
2: I, I I 100% believe you. I am just not up to date. I'm 10 years behind on my news.
0: I can't
1: remember. Yeah, it's because you didn't keep that painting around, like you Yeah, said. I know. Oh, that was before we recording. I can't remember.
0: <laughs> oh, so, okay. Sophie died 2001.
2: Oh no, never mind. She's been she's been gone a long time then. Yeah. I think I just f- figured that she was still around. I thought, you know what, it might have been because uh, I remember reading when The Illusionist came out that they never really consulted the daughter. They were probably talking about the illegitimate daughter that the movie was kind of based on, but the screenplay.
0: Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I got wrong. His son died in the 90s. Hmm. Okay. And, yep, his illegitimate daughter, Helga Marie... gene Marie uh, Jean... Uh, Schne- Schneel is still alive. She's She's 80. Wow. Yeah, because I think the movie didn't... The the illusionist, they did not uh, contact her about it. Does she have the rights, or is it just because... I don't think she had any
1: rights. Considered a it. representation of her life.
0: Uh, I don't think the, uh, he acknowledged... It's imaginary life, too. I don't think he acknowledged her. Yeah. For uh, a significant amount of time, and she wasn't included in family stuff. It's the whole uh, yeah. lot of family drama with him
2: not like he was uh he definitely had that because he he had that prior to that as well because he he was uh of like aristocratic noble birth like his his family was a were, were, russian. were uh, ambas- Yeah, russian ambassadors uh in in france which which gave him like a high standing and they were not happy that he was basically a clown
0: mm. just like um i oh, was that guy Uh, Romare, because his family was ashamed that he wanted to be an artist.
1: Everybody's family was ashamed that their kid wanted to be an artist until very, very recently. I feel like maybe, you know, not maybe not like in large context, I'd probably say since, uh, well, I have no idea. I feel like
2: there's two groups of people, like the the very blue collar, like what do you mean you wanna do this? You wanna work with your hands, and then there's the other group which is what do you mean you wanna work at all? You don't work,
1: you, you have money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Listen, you're gonna work in the business. There's no other no way about it. Your little yeah. painting? Yeah. I don't think so. Someone yeah. needs to make
2: the opposite movie. Like, no, you're gonna be a clown. You're not gonna you're not gonna be an investment banker. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just like the the Monty Python sketch where the kid wants to be a coal miner and his parents want him to be a poet.
2: (laughs) Never mind, Mm. it's been done. I've seen that.
0: (laughs) I uh, like like... Tati's son, Pierre, uh, was a second unit guy on Le Cirque Rouge, uh, The French Connection 2, uh, a Belmondo movie. uh, One of his action movies from the 70s. I not only not only fast enough, and he was Wait, Jacques Tati was in an action movie. Jacques
1: Tati's son, <laughs> I tell you Oh, okay. Uh, I would collar. love to see Hugh Lowe
2: like just bumble around an action movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, like Mr. Bean or exactly. Whatever. Well, Mr. Bean so clearly like and like I don't want to even call it a rip off because it's his own thing, but it's clearly clearly an oh, homage Inspired,
0: to, yeah, to Hugh Low, uh, and the son worked on Unflick. Hmm. The uh, another um, um
2: Melville. Uh, Mel-
0: Melville. Yeah. Yeah. One of my notes was, I feel like uh, Hulot could could work in like a Man from Rio type movie, like a like a buddy action thing with him and Belmondo.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Do you think that? Well, okay. With Belmondo, yes. So I was going to say. Do you think? I think Belmondo pulls it off not only because of how great the movie is in general, but, like, he's also relatively handsome. Yeah. Uh, Depending on who you ask to, he's extremely handsome. (laughs) But, uh, I I, I don't want to diss on Jock Tati, but, like, part of his appeal at that character is he's got kind of this, like, schlumpy look that makes him, like, relatable, almost. Mm -hmm. I I can (laughs) see
2: him just, like, not realize he's in an action movie. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, what, what? what's that Bill Murray movie? I, I, it's probably, like, the least good example of this. Like, the man who who, who knew too little or something. Oh, yes, yes. I, I can see Hugh Lowe doing that, where he doesn't realize that he's actually gotten involved in a <laughs> huge international scandal or something.
1: Yeah,
2: sorry. <laughs> An espionage thriller. Waiting at the
1: airport, somebody...
2: Yeah, getting mistaken for, for the
1: guy dressed just like him that has the briefcase. Oh, yeah, it's like, uh, <laughs> and then it becomes like, <laughs> north by north. He's got
0: the like, nuclear codes. Wait a minute!
1: Oh, there seems to be a, a crop dusting plane coming towards me. Oh, no. <laughs> just but he him. doesn't, he actually, he doesn't notice. He's just waving he at over it. to pick up like a coin. <laughs> so <he places> <laughs> oh, we're right in this movie.
0: Uh, uh, Dave, you probably know uh, who. Uh, what other movie the character Roger appeared? The actor who played Roger appeared in, but Joel, uh, the Carney guy. Do you recognize him from a recent episode we recorded? The make. I don't. The sleazy no. one with the wife who's always catching him looking at other women. <laughs> no,
1: but you're making me laugh because I remember it. <laughs>
0: Uh, he's a teacher is in 400 Blows. Oh. I did not okay. know
1: that. I literally was clicking
2: through his... Uh, I'm on the Wikipedia, which is not the easiest to uh, to go yeah. through. But I'm seeing a few movies that I've seen that I did not realize he was in.
1: That's cool, yeah. I No, I, because, you know, the usual thing. Faces, for me, it's mm-hmm. just like, uh, what was your face like again? <laughs> People I actually know in person. A lot of the mo- a lot of the actors in Jour de Fête were
2: just townspeople, right? Like just no name actor, not even no name actors, just not actors that not got cast actors. just because they had interesting faces, right? Yeah, yeah. I wonder. I'm sure they probably brought a few people in to uh, some to, of the to, crewme- to act.
0: Some uh, some crew members were actors. Uh, I watched the documentary American Style on Criterion Channel. Which was uh, which was about his over, overall career, and uh, well, is it the prop master played eight different people in the movie?
1: That does not surprise me. That's and, cool. Yeah,
0: and there's this is just costume change or I'd assume costume change because there's like there's a point where I was like I felt like I felt I I this I saw the same face multiple times. I feel
1: like that all the time.
2: And you can yeah. really get away with it with Tati's style because he did not really like close-ups. This movie had probably has more close-ups in it than all of his other movies combined. Just so you can see funny faces or the dude with his eyes crossed. But he thought that mm-hmm. things were just much better from far away. And if you're doing things from far away, you can have the same guy in a different scene just wearing different clothes. You're not going to notice.
0: Yeah. And uh, like the documentary went through... Uh, like the the inspiration for why he wanted to do a, a re, remixes of it and the 60s remix he did of it where he added color to specific uh, uh objects yeah painted was, color yes painted color uh was it, uh he uh, there were he was presenting at an arts uh festival arts show thing and he had to replaced Edith uh, Piaf. She is like a singer, uh, big yeah. personality lady. I know who she is because of Drag Race on One Snatch Game. I think it's Canada, the, the one of the Montreal queens, did her for... I mean... Did her. That's how... That's the only reason I know who she is.
1: She's a famous French
0: actress. That song,
1: like, oh. if you've seen yeah. Inception, that song that they play in it, mm-hmm. it was by her. And didn't Marion oh. Cotard play her in a movie? Yes.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I don't remember what it's called. Well, I don't know who she is just because of Drag Race.
2: Get, get. Oh, with, I know. Oh, well, you know what? I can't. I can't criticize you for not getting with the zeitgeist <laughs> because Drag Race is part of the
1: zeitgeist. Uh, the zeitgeist caught up with you. Culture is dead.
0: Yeah. Long live the new really culture. That. <laughs> anyway, so um, Dr. T had replaced Edith Pf uh, for uh, uh, for a slot, and he had two weeks, and so he prepared kind of like a stage show type production thing of, uh, Azure Defeat. And then he was like, what if I added color to it and re-released it? And that was kind of like the inspiration for that. And the color version was they filmed it on a black and white camera and a color camera. And the, something happened with the color. I didn't write down the details.
2: I uh, have the details on that. Oh, they filmed it in, in an experimental color thing, and the company went out of business by the time that they were finished filming, so no one could <laughs> process it.
0: Yeah. Okay. And it took almost 50 years to get it uh, processed, because his daughter, Sophie, she's the one who, uh, who, got, who got who got it uh, restored uh, in the 90s for another re-release.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm glad they could do that even in the 90s. I've, I feel like if they did it now, they they could definitely find somebody who would be able to to uh, get that film processed and everything like that. In the 90s, it was probably still a bit of a like an undertaking. Is there any way you can do this? Uh, I don't know. I could try. Like
2: okay. <laughs> and honestly, I think it's a blessing in disguise that the color version didn't work out because the color does not look very good, especially compared to like Technicolor, which was around at the time. It's terrible and it's it's almost like a two strip it's very muted it's very very out of date whereas the black and white hel- holds up so much better over time
0: yeah and they went over like gags that they tried to do that they that taught you to realized this is not going to work so we can't even fucking bother and one was uh, the the first episode you were on Dave you talked about the cat and um uh day for night mm-hmm. and that happened in this movie they, there is a scene with the cat that, and it was supposed to uh jump on tati and like scratch him but they they showed like the the takes with the cat and the cat just like sits there and like looks at him and that's about it and uh so they realize well we can't do this this cat is not going to work with us and so they gave up uh, a whole <sharp inhale> bit with a cat because it was you know we're all cat owners with us being itself.
1: <laughs> you yeah can't you can't train a cat. I know how to get my cat to scratch my face on purpose, but that's not I'm not doing it but not when you <laughs> but not if you really needed to for a movie right like if we were on camera, you would just be running away the whole time and not... It's my there understanding definitely trained cats. It's my understanding that the easiest way to get a cat to
2: do things for a movie is to find a bunch of cats that look the same that are prone yes. to certain behaviors. Hmm. That's what they had to do for, like, inside Lewin Davis. Yeah. That's like it's... 10 different cats that would be prone to do, like, run away or
1: sit here. Yeah. Or be yeah. held for long periods of time. Yeah.
0: And, uh, and it's like, uh, we did talk about it in the first episode, but there's, like, a Jackie Chan quality to Shak Yeah. Where it's yeah. like, he, you know, he's a very physical performer, he directs it, he writes it, he stars in it, and he injured himself on this movie, and that halted production. Uh, they didn't go into the details, but you see him kind of eat it while he's trying the bike. <laughs> it's it's not as bad as Jackie Chan, I was expecting, like, blood gushing, like a yeah. like an outtake on a, you know, Hong Kong movie, but it's kind of yeah. mild, it's like, oh, he's, like, injured him, him, his leg or something. Oh, my shins! Yeah, he got shin splints.
1: Yeah, that's terrible. It
2: it it's crazy though with his physical performance, especially because c- I, I I rewatched Playtime last night just because I wanted to like seeing how he performs in this movie as a character versus what he does as Hugh Lowe, it's completely different because obviously he loved mimes and he loved clowns and he loved Buster Keaton and and Charlie Chaplin, which I think also gives him that Jackie Chan vibe because Jackie Chan loves Buster Keaton. So they're both kind of drawing inspiration from the same place. But his ability to just physically embody and create a character strictly visually, not from dialogue, but through... How they move through their world is is incredible. and there's no one else doing that these days. Like Hulo, and I know we keep going back to it in an episode where we're not talking about a Hulo movie. <laughs> Hulo genuinely moves like a cartoon character. And uh, I, I, I I don't think you can do too much more with the mailman character. He already played him once in a short, and he kind of just expanded that short into this film. But uh, it it's it's just you you get so much out of it, and you you make this character, and you completely understand why he is the way he is. He can't just be any generic guy. He needs to be Jacques Tati.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, 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 Joel, have you seen the Illusionist, the uh, animated film?
1: Yeah, I saw it shortly. I didn't. I don't think I. Mm. No, I think I did go see it in the theater because I was like, oh, this is something. I don't know, film spotting was talking about or something. I don't, I used to listen to them and I stopped or I don't know. I think I found things that I liked better. That's all. Um, And uh, that movie was sad. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Like like
1: I, I I was like expecting a little more silliness coming from it. I was like,
0: this is, this is very sad. (laughs) I mean, it's about how he, you know, Has no no relationship with one of his children. It's really depressing. Well,
1: I, I know that now. I didn't know that at the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I I overall like that movie a whole lot. I don't think it's great because it's like because you have the Jacques Tati uh, character in it. Like it, the animation is the only way you could actually do it because you know, like, there's no one like him right now, so no Mm -hmm. no no one can do an impression of it.
1: Michael Sarah, <laughs> oh, <Michael's. God. laughs> Michael. I
2: Michael mean, Sarah's playtime. Yeah, is he? No, as, I, 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 is he as I tall as, as as, as T? No, because that no. Ha- the height is part of his quality. Because he he basically he, he he's almost like playing a child that grew to an adult overnight.
1: <laughs> all right, let's. How about the the guy that was in
0: Michael Shannon.
1: Uh <laughs> Michael Shannon. Oh no, my bicycle went into a bush. Well then, then isn't this funny everyone then, then
0: becomes the horror movie because you think he's gonna kill everyone.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's trying to hold that pole up in the middle of the square, <laughs> and every time somebody goes and does something, he's like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. What is the Damn, it's good. I was trying to like think of tall actors too that are and skinny and kind of goofy looking, and I was like, "What is oh. the name of the guy?" That Adam Driver's Club. Oh yeah, that Adam Driver is good one too. Yeah. Uh, I I do kind of want to see someone try to
2: remake a Jacques Tati movie, but do it way too seriously.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, Charles Bronson is yeah. Ulo.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, I think. Uh, I, if we're just like think like like remember like this physical comedy, uh, like the, uh, on like on a super mainstream level like Jim Carrey was that for a little bit, and Mr Bean is in Europe not really over here, but uh, but like there's you know it's just like such a specific thing that you know like illusions could only work, you can only deal with the animation and animation can only do so much. Yeah. Yep uh dave do you like the that movie
2: i do i i I hold a fondness as i was explaining before while you were uh solving your 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 door and dog Mm -hmm. issues it was my introduction to to the world of jacques Tati, and while i don't like it as much as his actual movies I, i think it does a pretty good job of of delivering that emotional uh homage quality and especially bringing just to to light this script that he had written the best way that you can uh I appreciate it for that and still still quite like it.
0: Hmm. Okay. Um, I don't know if... Uh, on the documentary about the, uh, his whole film career, uh, the reason he picked this village uh, was... Um, uh, I love this story. He was assigned... Uh, when the Nazis took over France, uh, he had to do... Uh, I forgot what the exact thing was, but like he got cons- got conscripted into like a work contract thing with the Nazis in charge, and he and the co-writers, co-writer of this, uh, who played the butcher in this movie, the guy who cuts his uh, shoe in half, <laughs> uh, they as they fled to the center the, to center of France, to like a remote village to hide out their um, their time with the Nazis, mm. and so they came to his village, and uh, like he uh, Tati apparently described it as, like, it's as if the war never is not even happening. Like, it's just this out-of-time place that's out in the middle of nowhere that's hard to get to.
1: Yeah. I think that a lot of people who had the ability to found places like that, like, because when you say like, the Nazis took over France, like, uh, it, it, yes, yes, but, like, to... I mean, that was one of the things. They spread themselves somehow so thin because of Russian Front and all this stuff like that. Like, I feel like... What, what was that movie we saw where... Oh, I think it was a... Whatever the Priest movie...
0: Oh, uh, Hot Priest Belmondo? Belmondo.
1: Yes. Leon Moore That's what Priest. it's called. Yes. Yeah, so, like... <laughs> That movie kind of taps into that feeling like you do feel there's an authoritarian thing, especially with how scared some of the uh, the people in the salon. Is that what it? Is? No, it's not a salon. What is it? Anyways, <laughs> you the, like some people are acting like, oh, well, things things are pretty normal. I don't. Well, I don't know what I was going with there. He has a
2: fondness, though, for, for, for that sort of like village at a time, like the, this old way of thinking that's like never quite going to go away. It's not quite with the times, but there's something quite fascinating and enjoyable with it and about it. You, you see a lot of it kind of in Mon Uncle. Where, where the village that he, the part of Paris that he's from is just very much rooted in this old way of thinking, whereas his uh, sister and brother-in-law live in the ultra-modern, <laughs> crazy, <laughs> completely out of touch with trying to keep up with the times part of Paris. Um, yeah, it's a, I, I love that just dichotomy and battle between the, the, the super old ways that don't quite make sense and the super new ways that also don't quite make sense, but at least the old ways are charming
0: yeah like i see people describe him as uh, <clears throat> as conservative but not conservative in terms of politics necessarily uh conservative like he is likes the old way of life and yeah he, like he he's a luddite he doesn't like uh modern technology basically it's like he just wants to live a simple basic life and that's like a common theme in all his movies
2: Yeah, if he were around today, I'd be partially afraid that he'd be making, like, uh, jokes about kids not knowing how to work a book because they only know how to work a phone or something. Yep. He, it, yep. it, he, he he would be big on those comics but at the same time with most of his things you can see that he holds a great fondness for children he does not seem to think that they are wrong they are pure even when they're doing bad things <laughs> it seems to be that he his, his bigger issue is with uh, adults that have lost touch with their with their childlike uh, imagination and sense of wonder hmm.
0: yeah uh like, and in my limited notes for this, because I have just enjoyed the movie so much, um, like I was thinking of the difference between Francois Postman and Hulot. And Hulot is, you know, like he he's a man child, but not the annoying, uh, modern sense way. He's you know it's like, like a child who is a, who is like six foot three. Yeah, <laughs> I mean,
2: he's he's not emotionally a child. He's not like. Wanting. It's not all about him. He's not complaining. He's not crying. He's not warbling. And but he's also not like a harpo, like a harpo Marx, where he's mm-hmm. just uh completely like <laughs> on a different plane of existence. He's just doesn't quite get it. He's not a
1: looney tune.
2: No, he's not. He's a cartoon, but he's not a looney tune.
1: Right. I feel like in uh The only one I've seen, Mm -hmm. you know, his holiday one, a lot of times he was doing things that he wanted to do, which were like adult activities, enjoying the newspaper and stuff like that. But he just had, like, no awareness Mm -hmm. of what everyone else was doing. (laughs) Yeah, he's lacking in social awareness. (laughs) Yeah. Like, well, this is perfectly normal for me. Who cares if it annoys somebody else or... That is annoying me, so I'm gonna to try to do something about it, like, even like, though like, it's none like, of my business.
0: Like Hulu quietly causes chaos everywhere he goes.
2: <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> and sometimes gets wrapped up in him, and sometimes he has like, well a sleeve and then you know, hijinks happen. And the postman is like to me feels like he, he's opposite he's very orderly. He tries to be very orderly, he tries it's like this is my job, this is what I'm going to do, but the world gets in yes. the way.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah.
2: He's trying to represent something that this town is not quite about. No. And that makes him this outsider because of that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure these people would both be totally okay if he never delivered their mail, <laughs> yet complain if they never got their mail. Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: And they, they need him to come around so that they have somebody to at least like be like, oh, here it comes again. Yeah, they, they need someone to harass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh... Do you guys think this movie is mean spirited?
2: No, no.
0: Okay, I, I don't think so either. I just I'm just wondering because like the whole movie, you know, has mentioned like you guys said before, like they're just trying to, they just need some like they like they're looking for fun, so you kind of like uh, like mess with the postman.
2: I, yeah. and that's I think a quality about Hilo. Even when he's making fun of something, even when you can clearly tell that he doesn't agree with it, he still treats it with a certain degree of fondness. It's it's very uh like I I don't know it's it's very much like this is just the way it is. It's not wrong. It just is how people are and it's just so understandable. Of course people are going to mess with this guy just like kids in Mon Uncle they're going to throw rocks at people cuz they're kids. It's not <laughs> like th- there's there's no heroes or villains in his movies.
0: Hmm, yeah. Uh have either of you guys seen the movie uh Slack Bay from 2016?
2: No, that's the... what? What's his name? Bruno... Uh, Dumont. Bruno, Bruno Dumont. I, I wanted to see that. That looked good. I just have not gotten around to it in the seven years since it came out, I guess.
0: Uh, I remember Marcus Penn talking about it a lot uh, when uh, uh, the Korean par- Parasite came out because it's kind of similar uh, in certain ways. Hmm. But uh, Slack Bay is basically like what if a Jacques Tati movie is kinda mean spirited? Hmm. Which sounds like unappealing, but it's but I found it really charming because it does that that Tati type of story and, like plotting, but it's treated in a very but 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 does it in a way it's like a little bit more mean spirited, that's more not aggressive necessarily, but like it's like it's like darker like dark cynical Tati. Mm-hmm.
2: I have not seen that. You, you've you sold me on it, though. I need to check that out now. Because I I would say that this would be more mean-spirited. Like, sure, they're playing pranks on him. Like, hold on. I'm going to click, because I want to just mm-hmm. call the character Jacques Tati or the postman. Do they ever... It's Francois.
0: Okay. Francois. So,
2: yeah. So they, they, they play pranks on Francois, like getting him drunk when he's trying to do his route. Or, or making <laughs> him look, look, look in, in things. And he has a, a an ink splotch around his eye but but he yeah. himself I, I think that if you could really tell that it really upset him and really got him down then it would be mean-spirited but he just mm-hmm. takes he rolls with the punches a little bit too well <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah like uh, like slack bay is sillier than any jacques Tati. there's a guy that's who, uh, I can't that, remember that what, that's a feat i can't remember what happens but like a guy uh he like he his clothes get inflated, and he's like a human balloon for the rest of the movie. So there's like over half the movie this guy is just like floating, and they have to like, they have to tie him down to the ground <laughs> so he doesn't float away. Just your average
1: everyday situation.
0: It's you it's
2: know. so funny because the uh, you know I've seen two Bruno Dumont films, and the f- first one, I think it was his first movie. What's that one with a guy that has like the the dirt bike?
0: I don't know. Uh, it's just Mar- Marcus so... Marcus Penn is the big I know. Uh, it, guy.
2: But that movie is so grounded in reality to hear that this guy like 20 years later made a movie where a guy's floating around like a balloon is just so <laughs> like such a foreign concept to me. I've also seen his one like uh, his Twin peaks he one. It was like a TV mini-series. Um But that that's also a little bit fantastical and I can't remember the name of it but that one's good as well. I gotta check out Slack Bay.
0: And he did uh, these Joan of Arc movies That are like kind of musicals And like I think I think Marcus said one is like a metal musical <laughs> Yeah,
1: uh, That makes you, sense for Joan of Arc Based on my my knowledge of Joan of Arc Which is solely from the movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure.
0: You should get the Blu-ray uh, I think it might be as of now But there's a kino sale of Cohen uh, Whatever and they have yes, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I got the the Jacques Rivervette um uh Joan of Arc movie that is six hours long
1: I think it's six there's hours there's only one six hour movie I like to watch
0: maybe it's seven hours it's it's a long movie it, it's the it's Jacques Rivette. it's a long movie it's a short Jacques Revette movie
1: <laughs> it's the <laughs> it's
0: it's the shortest movie ever made he made six like, hours he made like one 90 minute movie and think that's about it.
2: I don't think I've seen that one. I think I've only seen out one. Wait, no. Uh, what's the one that I'm trying to think of? I've uh, seen one of his shorter ones. Oh man, this is talk about a a, a sidetrack right now. <laughs> you can, can hear uh, me typing as I try to figure out what it is.
0: I remember on the now uh, uh, defunct um, the Magical Lantern podcast, uh, uh, they just kind of decided. They need, they want free time for life and stuff, so you kind of stop doing it. Which mm. uh, g- good on them. That's probably a smart. Oh, thing Selfish, to do. Yeah. yeah.
1: Disgustingly selfish.
0: But they right. on their uh, Celine and Julie episode, they 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 said that the average runtime of Jacques Rivette movies is about three and a half hours. So the
2: shortest one I have seen is Le Pont du Nord, which feels like a ninety-minute movie, but it's uh. In, in, in consideration. If it's the only movie you'd ever seen, it would feel like it was a four-hour movie. But compared to Out 1, it feels quite brisk.
0: <laughs> well, most things do. Uh, okay, so... The, the, okay, so Joel, uh, what do you like about fee exactly?
1: I... So... <laughs> You're talking about Bergman, uh, yes. earlier, and it makes me think of the you know the super famous death chess one here. Uh, what's that called? Back to the Future. Um, uh, Bill and Ted. where They play. Uh, oh yes. And Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. That's Bogus uh, Journey. <laughs> <laughs> that's yes, the one of course. Remember? Yeah. When Bergman directed the scenes in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, <laughs> I don't know how he got death to stretch so well for uh the well i can't make my jokes be a twister scene is what i was gonna say no um that movie has this humor going throughout it because of like uh, the kind of traveling performer people but also just like the villages when you do see people they're just average goofy people and uh of course, there's the whole darker theme going through it. It's Like that's if you stand back from that movie, you're like, "This is an art movie," yeah, and you can say that about Jour um, de Fête, mm-hmm. or however you pronounce it. But it's like just such a sweet comedy all the way through of these like people and you saying, mm-hmm. uh, Dave, that like there were non-actors like that totally makes sense to me they they just look like the people that are in that Agnes Varda movie her first one where it was just people in the town she was having except for the two actors that were playing the lovers like, like these are just regular people and they're regularly experiencing their lives and it just happens to be a little bit silly from the outside but you, you toss in this mailman character and like everyone knows they can get some great humor just out of messing with this guy and like the the follow through everything else you don't feel like <laughs> the mailman you you know has been abused in any way really it's just i don't know it, it's it the way you can't take it seriously and the way that i keep i kept laughing every probably like five minutes there was something that made me laugh and that is so unusual nowadays like I I don't remember the last time a comedy actually just like tickled me that way so me calling it a perfect movie is that I wouldn't change anything about it for me I don't know if production style and uh, I I saw some reviews on Letterboxd, there were like three stars, and it was like, oh, the short version is the best version, blah, blah, blah. This one's still great, but uh, I haven't watched the short version, but I would, I can't walk away from this movie going like, eh, that felt a little long, because I was just delighted.
0: Okay.
2: I haven't, I have not seen the short version, because it's almost like, what's the point? I've seen this one. Yeah. Why? 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 See the testing ground for this. I'll. I know. I'll check it out at some point. And I, I. I. don't know. I. I have a feeling that in a shorter version, you're gonna miss that sense of place, that sense of how you can just really create. You. You. You know this town. You. You know its ins and outs because you know its people, and I love how it's heightened reality, but it's still reality. It's. It's. It's just showing you how funny life is. And I think that's something that really just sings through all of his work is that it's really just saying like, hey, at the end of the day, life's kind of a circus. Life's a little funny. Try to sit back and enjoy it. And I think it's another reason why you're okay with uh, the mailman getting picked on so much (laughs) is because he doesn't get that because he's just like, all work, uh, no play. Let's let's get this job done. I want to get my job done. Uh, (laughs) So the people that are like trying to slow him down and trying to get him to appreciate things... You side with them in that, and uh, I don't know. I I'd love to just take a time and take 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 a weekend in a place like this. I'm sure they would be like, "What the hell are you doing here? Get out!" But <laughs> you uh, <laughs> you you feel like you've still spent that time there. You feel as though you've because it. I mean, it takes place over what three days. You have the first day when they're getting set up for the for the big per, the big uh, fair, the day with the fair, and then afterwards, after uh, they've made fun of Jacques Tati for not being able to keep up with the ridiculous American uh, <laughs> show of uh, para- uh, parachuting down to deliver mail. Um, it's uh, it's it's a great way of showing a day in the life over the course of three days and showing just kind of how this, it, it, it picks a perfect time to do it because you have something to center it around this fair, but it's really just about what these people do on their average day.
0: Hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, uh, nothing. To follow up with that. With follow that up. Oh, with. that's that's good. Yeah. But
1: that's like, Thanks for that's having me on I'm... the show. I'll see you. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's like uh, Thanks, what's like some like Criterion essay uh, type shit.
2: <laughs> Again, uh, you can find me on Twitter at no. <laughs> at criterion essay at. Yes. Yeah. A, a Criterion essay in, in two hundred and eighty characters or less
0: yeah the, the the carnival aspect to me like like I think one reason like well, well now that I've seen this other movie but like one thing that i that made me love this movie more this time was the carnival thing where makes you think of the young girl La Rochefort with like that like like that uh uh then are like the big uh carnival event uh thing there in that movie where it's like th- like this feels like a smaller scale version of that in some Mm. to some degree
2: and you can kind of see like maybe in the town like oh this comes through once a year and that's like the big thing that everyone like oh the fair is here maybe the adults aren't don't care about it as much but it's big for the kids because i mean the first thing you see is the is the little boy just seeing them coming into town and following the horses for the uh, carousel as they're going away and again it's like like i said before he 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 really thinks that children that they haven't been corrupted yet They, they they haven't (laughs) <laughs> they 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 don't buy weird lawnmowers or weird garages or weird cars yet. They just have wonder and amusement and whimsy. And I just love that it's almost like introducing, like, "Hey, here comes this thing! You're going on a ride. Sit back, don't stress out. You're gonna just have a carnival day."
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that? Okay. So, uh, what are your guys' favorite gags uh, in the movie?
2: Can can we count the entire American style thing at the end as a gag?
0: Uh yeah, why not?
2: I, well, I I love that. Obviously, I love the reoccurring gag that as he comes into town, he keeps crashing through the cafe and instantly <laughs> appearing upstairs.
0: Yeah, and uh, oh, and I think it's the f- first or no, s- I think it's the second time you see it. You see his view from the balcony, and it's like, oh, it's the playtime shot. Yeah. And a couple other shots where it's like uh, there's one shot that's like traffic there's a couple other that really stick out of like oh this is the testing ground of him doing uh, like organizing a, a moment like this.
2: Yeah, seeing something from a different perspective to see the uh, beauty or in Playtown the the the, the doldrum of <laughs> what something can look like from above.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, my vote would be the whole, I already mentioned it, the whole pull sequence for mm-hmm. some reason, just every time <laughs> I was trying to get something getting it fixed up and somebody walks away or they. Uh, I don't know, it was just it's, that was, that just hit me It's organized chaos, I think
2: the funniest shot of that is when he leaves briefly, because, like, oh I gotta deliver this message real quick and, and as he walks out he's still in the background just like Flying back and forth above all the buildings.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I well, like the right. The first gag that always makes me laugh the most, and uh, not that, not that the rest of it isn't funny, but this part always makes me laugh the most is when the guy is like, "Oh, this is so heavy. Can you carry this for me?" And I like, I picks it up, and he's like, "Okay, I, I got my haircut." <laughs> he just walks away. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh. <laughs> it's it's. Uh, I, I don't know. I find it funny. <laughs> Uh, just in general, I feel like I'm laughing out loud more talking about this than I typically do while watching the movies I feel like Jacques Tati should be on the cover of Sensible Chuckle uh, Monthly where a lot of the (laughs) gags like, I get it, my brain gets it I smile, Mm -hmm. I might have a smile on my face the whole movie, but I may not necessarily laugh out loud at any point during the movie, that might just be my experience with it though Very polite clapping Exactly, like little golf very nice, very nice
0: Yeah like I'm always just amazed that like it it it's the Ozu thing. It looks simple, and then you think about it, it's like no, this is this is extremely detailed and thought out.
2: It's chaos constantly. Yeah,
0: you know, like I, I I don't understand how like how, how it works exactly because so much of it is just like built. It's like you have to keep the momentum going. Cause it's a, it's a movie, but at the same time there's a. It has to feel organic and and then just like getting like the physical like the physical aspect of everything right the like the timing and everything like it, it's all so seamless and how it comes together
2: and and the fact that this is his first feature film his first directorial job and it's so fully realized and just when one character kind of walks off screen you have another one come back on to keep the momentum going and this this also for anyone that's not watched any Jacques Tati movies other than this one this one has like twice as much dialogue as any of them do because they're and typically the dialogue is just non what no what's like diegetic it's just part of the scene it's not divulging any information you could watch it on mute and not miss a thing Anytime, typically, people are talking, it's just because that'd be what people are naturally talking about. And oftentimes, it's such a dull mumble that they don't even bother subtitling it. (laughs) Uh... But with this one, you have, like, the old lady that's going around narrating what she's seeing, just making fun of how ridiculous some people are, which is something you don't typically see in his movies. And I have to wonder if that's simply due to a maybe lack of confidence and maybe that the visual humor wouldn't come through. But she kind of acts as a good sounding board throughout the movie because she just appears throughout as well. Uh uh maybe even more so in terms of length throughout the movie than uh than, than Francois the postman does.
0: Uh yeah, I I feel like she's more of a main character than he is.
2: Yeah. He's yeah. he's just kind of the uh he's the comic relief in the movie. Yeah. And despite being played by Jacques Tati, he doesn't even show up for like 10 minutes into the movie. That's like a big hallmark of his films that Hugh Lowe typically doesn't show up 10 minutes in, except for Traffic, where he's like the first person you see and you know like, oh, someone got to him.
0: Yeah, and Playtime has a brilliant gag of like, you yeah. see all these people in the hat and the, in and the, the coat. coat. And it's, I think it's maybe like 15 minutes in, and it's like, oh, there he is. And, and the big twist with that one, because he's typically wearing like the... Uh,
2: like the khaki, the camel color, car coat, and the gray pants. Not this time. Gray coat, uh, khaki <laughs> pants.
0: I didn't even realize that. that. What a
2: twist. It is a twist. And, and sadly, <laughs> and I know that we're talking about Jour de Fête, I'm pretty sure that all three of us have pronounced this movie titled differently.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But uh, with that one, he he's, like I said, in this one, he's kind of the outsider. In Mr. Hulot's Holiday, he's... He doesn't quite realize that he's an outsider. He's just trying to do what everyone else is doing. In Mon Uncle, he's clearly, he has his own world that he's a part of and another world that he is very much not a part of. But in Playtime, he kind of very much feels like he's become a part of the world that he's also satirizing. And the fact that everything's drab and gray, even himself is drab and gray Mm -hmm. in that. And he's kind of more so just observing all the wackiness that he himself it has been absorbed into, uh, and then traffic—it's just its own thing. He's—he's he's just as much a part of that world as anyone else. It doesn't quite work the same way. It's almost—I don't know. That's why I think playtime has a melancholy to it that—that uh, that you don't see in of Jurdafet is just like joyous and playful and just wonderful. You could watch this on repeat and just probably have better mental health than uh, <laughs> than if you watch mostly any, anything else.
0: Oh yeah, like, like uh, I, people know. I like, I love uh, dark, mean spirited, like Imamora stuff that mm-hmm. shows like humanity like as horrific. But then I watch this stuff, and I'm like, oh yeah, uh, life can be good and fun. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot that things are funny sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But,
0: uh. I. My. I, I, I. Um. Besides the uh gag of the haircut that i love that first off that it extends into like he goes to a barber shop and it's one cut and it's like <laughs> wait wait so you so you've tricked a guy into carrying your heavy construction stuff just so so, so you, you you can get pay for a haircut you could done yourself
2: <laughs> but I, I that it's again it's it's the it's the wackiness of people and their own eccentricities because you know that there are guys that are just like oh no my hair is getting terrible Still, uh, well, you're done. It's good, perfect.
0: yeah yeah and the the guy the crosshead guy uh that that <laughs> sequence. and like it's a cheap joke, but it it always works
2: and the, the, the other thing is like if there's one joke that doesn't work, just wait wait a few seconds. you'll catch the next one <laughs> there There's gonna yep. be one for for you and and I feel like it's maybe more of a hallmark in his later movies. He has a lot of lot of jokes that are like, and again, I keep talking about playtime, probably because I just watched it. Like near the beginning of the movie, there's a scene where like there's two nuns walking, and as they walk, their their hats flap up and down. Like that mm. joke, it's a little bit groan-inducing. Cause it's like, come mm. on, but it's also charming. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's like these jokes that like your grandpa would make that you know are not good, but you can see how much it makes him laugh, so it makes you laugh.
0: Yeah, yeah, and like this the whole the, the American documentary. Uh, in itself is a, is amazing, and like the, the Chicago helicopter stuff, like apparently was real. Really, the Chicago um uh postal service did have helicopters at that point in time. And uh, can you
1: imagine if postal service had any sort of budget?
0: Oh yeah, it'd be it'd be a be as if you know uh, it's something good for everyone. But oh yeah. Yeah, who needs that?
1: I, no, nobody.
0: It's true. Yeah, but not uh, to get
1: political on
2: here. But <laughs> I, I, can see them just being like, "Here's no training and a parachute."
1: I mean, yeah, that's yeah. that's definitely we don't have. The, we have the budget
2: did. for the parachute, but not the helicopter. Therefore, get into the cannon.
1: Yes,
0: <laughs> yeah, and the like the and what and when you see like the like the stuff with the planes. I, I was thinking, like, wait, is, is Jacques one of the people in this fake documentary? And I
2: have a feeling they just bought a bunch of stock footage.
0: Okay. Yeah, because I thought so, too. Because, like, because I, I just watched a Hong Kong movie with a crazy stunt for the plane where it's like, well, he's like, this guy's not going to get on a plane that's going to be mid-air. It's like, oh, fuck, he really is. And so, like, I'm kind of was like, oh, wait, did, did Jacques go that far? But I I don't think he never really went that far.
1: No, like, Belmondo, I mean, we were talking about that Belmondo movie earlier. I mean, yeah. he's got shot where he's on the side of the plane and you see it from far away, and it's definitely Belmondo. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh
0: no my budget god, for a stunt
2: guy.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I'm sure Tati was like, I want some protection, just a little bit, yeah, 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 yeah it's I not- would
1: prefer not to die
0: yeah it's not Hong Kong an age where it's like well let's just film a, a fight scene in the middle in the middle of the city and not tell people about it
1: <laughs> I'd say that's perfect yeah well, what do I know
0: yeah, uh, stupid
2: standards and practices and safety we get so yeah. much worse movies now because of that
0: yeah Yeah. it's better when people are injured on every on every set exactly
1: <laughs> or, like, animal rights. Just, it it was better when we could just kill the animal for our shots. Just imagine how good those shots were.
0: Yeah, it's quote-unquote real. Like that dipshit on Twitter who was like, why didn't they use a real bear in prey? (laughs) Why
2: didn't they? Why didn't they use real animal, uh, real tigers in (laughs) RRR?
0: Oh, God. Oh, (sighs) God. Yeah, uh, back
1: no, in my day, they didn't have fake animals. Uh,
0: like, uh, in, like the detail of the uh, American documentary that I always forget is there is the sexiest Apollo <laughs> part where it's like the, the bodybuilder competition.
2: I forgot about that too. That might be actually my favorite joke because that th- with go. that documentary, it just starts off ridiculous and it keeps going. <laughs> You could have literally just had them, like, jumping out of airplanes and been like, nope, that's it. But no, they just keep going to the muscle man competition.
1: Is that, uh, like a newsreel kind of thing, right, that yeah. was going
0: on? Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah, they are, I think that was the, um, uh, a newsreel before the movie.
2: Yeah, and that was probably also the only time that year that the people in that town got to see a movie. Oh, yeah,
0: Exactly. Yeah, and like there's a great gag with the movie dialogue, where they're testing out the the thing where it's like the, I think it's Roger talking to some other woman. Yeah,
2: the, the 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 one townsperson lady that he's uh, flirtatious with as his uh, overbearing wife overlooks.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, mean, I don't want to watch this movie again, but yeah. Uh. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, if you had uh. uh say what your favorite tati is dave uh which one is it it changes like not, constantly n- not 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 like best but like most rewatchable most enjoyable
2: most rewatchable and most enjoyable might be mr Hulot's holiday i like watch that on the first day of summer every year because it just puts me in like a good spirit and a good mood uh th- this one's really good though it's really good but um i i think i'd have to go with mr hulo's holiday in terms of most rewatchable
0: I, yeah, I think I'd have to go with that one too. Like my uh, uncle is is still really good, but like holiday is just pure fun. Where others are, well, the first two are pure fun. Then after that, it kind of gets it. It changes. It it change.
2: It keeps that spirit, but he's not to say that he's not trying to say something with Jour de Fête or with Mister Hulo's Holiday, but with mon uncle and playtime, there's clearly like a a deeper message that he's still able to impart without making a serious picture.
0: Yes. And, uh, this is a dumb question. Does, Jacques, yes. does Jacques Tati count as French new wave or was he just our French guy making movies?
1: He's just a French guy making movies. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's got, the, you couldn't call him French new wave. I don't think because when you think of French No Wave, that's not one of the people that comes to mind, but he, he definitely adapted some of those things that people were doing. Like, like once again, not actors. That's... I think of that more as a neorealism thing, but yeah. still, it, like, you saw that in other French stuff. Like, uh, Agnes, I'm, I'm just gonna go back with all the things I've already said. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Fun, fun fact though I I don't know mm-hmm. if you've seen all of the Antoine duinnel movies but uh it's not Jacques Tati but Hugh Lowe makes a cameo in well um, oh, which one is it it's not it's not uh bed and board what's the one before the, is that uh, oh, stolen love and the, kisses it's not stolen kisses it's not. oh I think it is bed and board bed and board is so love and the run is the last one and bed and board is the second to last one. There is a moment where Antoine Doinel is waiting for a train or getting on a train on like the the metro and a guy that's a a, a in it's clearly meant to be Hulot, dressed like Hulot, physical mannerisms of Hulot misses the train and runs up to it to the point that I thought that it was Jacques Tati and I was like, "Oh, this is awesome." Hmm. But it was not actually Jacques Tati playing the character. So, slight French New Wave connection there, even though it was post post New Wave. Yeah. All right.
1: Uh, Just uh, a throwback to him,
2: exactly. Yeah. So, so clearly the at least Truffaut uh, had a fondness for for uh, Tati.
0: Yeah, and uh, Funderberg said uh, before that uh, uh, Godard said about Truffaut, he's the father of French realism. Hmm. See,
1: I rest my case. No, <laughs> I don't.
0: Yeah, which I I guess I don't know. Yeah. Either, yeah, standard standard uh, uh Godard quote. Like, I-, I guess so. Sure. <laughs> I feel like,
1: <laughs> yeah, I f- I feel like if we tried to, you know, this this season's almost over. But like, if either of us tried to define what French New Wave is, I don't think we could still really
0: say. No, it's just I don't know, like a time. I see it was. It's like exploitation. It, it was just like a set number of years where, you know. Certain movies were made, and that's kind of yeah. it.
2: By a set number of people.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's that's.
1: It was something that the norm wasn't doing, you know, is what I think, right? And then eventually it became more like the norm.
0: Yeah. So since Dave, this is your last episode of a season.
1: Ever. Oh, ever Oh, oh no.
2: no. I'll oh. never be on Shoot the Piano Player, a French Wave <laughs> podcast again.
0: Th- that is true actually i know <laughs> <laughs> um um uh, what is uh, uh like what was your top french new wave um movie mo- mo- or movies director actor like oh, when you think french new wave like what's like what what's the top tier for you
2: oh geez i mean oh that that's a tough one it's really easy to say Goddard. It's really, really easy to say Godard. I don't you know. Can you can leave. I I know. Yeah. Not <laughs> not for us. <laughs> um, I don't know. I I honestly, it used to be that it used to be Godard, but I think uh, Agnes Varda and Eric Romare have kind of taken the top spot, even though they didn't make as many movies in the New Wave period. Um, and I also really like uh, uh, Alain Renat, even though he's more of a what was that? The West? Not. Oh, oh what well, uh, West Bank? West Bank, yeah. Uh, technically, Verdas technically West Bank as well, but um, I don't know. My biggest introduction to French New Wave was watching like the the '60s movies that Godard made. I think that's a reasonable entry point for some people. Yeah. A lot of other people go with the Truffaut movies of the same time period, but um, I don't know. I really like Contempt. I know that we disagree there. <laughs> um, I really, yeah. really like Last Year in Marienbad. And uh, I, I really love the six moral tales from Romare and uh, Cleo five to seven. I mean, those, if, if I had to like pick out like the top mm-hmm. ones from that time period, those would probably be the ones that stick out the best. And uh, one that I always tell myself I need to rewatch is actually shoot the piano player. Cause I remember really liking that. The one, the, 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 one time that I've seen that.
0: Yeah. I think that was the first one I, first new wave I liked. Cause before that it was like Alphaville, breathless, and La Samurai and shoot Sh- piano player was the first one. I was like, okay, I think I can, I can like these movies.
2: Yeah. yeah. and <laughs> It's with Godard, I think a big thing of it is that no one else has really been able to quite capture that style. Whereas Truffaut, like, I feel like his style is a little bit more uh, digestible and therefore you've seen it copied uh, and sure you can say that people try to copy Goddard all the time with, with jump cuts and whatnot. It's really hard to copy Goddard because who wants to? I wants argue, to read all that.
0: I'd argue Simben copied him with Black Girl successfully.
2: Yeah. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna not disagree with you there. <laughs> I am not gonna disagree with you there. That's a great point.
0: And Slate O, which I think is still on the channel, is very much a Godard uh a style movie.
1: Mhm. Vivre se vie. What? Vivre se vie. Vivre vie. Oh, no,
0: Oh, my life to live. C. Si. Yeah, yeah. That's French. C. Si. Uh, short sure defeat. It, it, it's close enough.
1: <laughs> I, I started. It's short sure defeat. We're gonna get all kinds of clicks we don't want.
2: Yeah, yeah. Put a tag in there. It'll be your most popular episode. <laughs> okay, I started learning feet, Spanish Feet of the day
0: <laughs> I started learning Spanish for the Omotivar season uh, Oh that's
1: so, why you were doing it
0: Yeah that's why I started to French because this is this coming up And I like learning it even though I hate the language yeah, it, it's a, I have a complicated relationship with French But Spanish is more fun Are you going to Pronounce things in Spanish when for that one? I feel more confident with Spanish than I do with French
1: I will correct you. Not I mean, that I know Spanish.
0: <laughs> I mean, your dad is a Spanish teacher, so you probably yep. would know how to correct me.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I know what it all sounds like and stuff like that. I, I've never been around people speaking French or anything, or basically any other language except for English and Spanish.
0: Well, actually, hmm. uh, Delaware has a big, maybe Philly too, but Delaware, we have a lot of Haitians, so Haitian Creole is really? one of the big languages here. Oh, yeah, if you go to, like, a Caribbean store, a food mart or whatever, like, you will hear Haitian Creole, like, and it's, and, like, I recognize it because I hear some French, and then I hear, like, oh, I don't know what they're saying anymore. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Delaware's, like, uh, Haitian Creole's the third most popular language here outside of English and Spanish.
2: trying to think about philly what would be the i don't know philly is just such a such a melting pot of so many different people you can find uh different cultures there i didn't uh, n- not even realize that they uh had their own little section of the town
0: i i'm sure philly has a lot of caribbean people i'm sure i am they sure s- that sure it does i just have not found their neighborhood <laughs> uh, they, they seem to gravitate towards this region of the country uh, delaware probably cuz it's cheap to live here compared mm. to everywhere else around here. Mhm. In <laughs> the beach, so you know, there's yeah. that. All right. So uh yeah, uh yeah, uh it's Chaktaati this uh Sharadfee, it will always be around. Um uh, the yeah, the family has the has the rights back. So in the state you know, so uh it's not going to be a situation like it was for you know a, a long time where it was hard to come by so uh yeah you can watch this movie in places you can buy the blu-ray set or whatever let's watch shock uh unless you don't like it and if you don't like it
2: watch it anyways yeah yeah
0: and that's fair not everything's for everyone
2: no this is for everyone everyone must like this if you don't like this you're wrong No, I'm I'm shaking my head. I don't think that way, but I do think that everyone should give this a chance because I think this has a broad, broad appeal, especially for a black and white movie with subtitles.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Joel, you should watch Playtime to see like how everything kind of evolved and changed. I'm curious what your take will be on it.
1: I'll put it on my list.
0: Oh, wait, like, does Sure Defeat count as uh, a cat movie? Because the cat scene was deleted, but there is footage no. of outtakes of the cat scene.
1: Uh, it, it's not. it. Yeah. No, no. No? If I can't put on a version of the film and see a cat, then no.
0: Okay. Well, can you put on the, do- the documentary about uh, uh, Jacques... Uh, what's sort of the Jacques Tati? What's what is
1: the called? What is the name of that documentary? It's
0: on Criterion Channel. It's on the uh, Jacques Tati thing. If you look it up this movie, the
1: name
2: American it, style. It is also on the disc for Jour oh, de Fille okay. If you uh, if you
1: are a Blu-ray owner, American style.
0: It's in French. I forgot uh, how to say it.
1: Style the American.
0: It's something different.
1: <laughs> Here it is. Orgy American style from <laughs>
0: 1973. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, this is from 1949. Um, Dave, you can go first, because I feel like you'll have more stuff than both me and Joel.
2: Okay, I have my letterbox pulled up, and despite the fact that this is the year when Igmar Bergman directed his first film... I'm not necessarily going to recommend that because it's not his best film, but there are a lot of great movies from 1949, including one of my favorites ever made, The Third Man, uh, which is just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful film noir uh, from a, a British noir, really, I guess you could call it. You have Orson Welles, you have Joseph Cotton, Carol Reed as the director. Uh, I'm sure everyone has heard of this if you've not heard of this definitely check it out. It is wonderful wonderful wonderful. Lots of Dutch angles. Lots of what is it? Zither music uh, that is being played throughout just a tour de force of style and class. I'm also going to recommend another noir uh, directed by Robert Wise before he uh, became a big Hollywood director back when he was making B-pictures. The Setup a great boxing movie and this one's like just over an hour long I feel like so it's a quick, easy watch. It's 73 minutes. A great movie about a boxer that's kind of down and out. That's being asked to take a dive for his fight, and uh, really kind of an unsuspecting film noir that uh, you really, really get a deep connection with the characters you really care for and want to see a good, uh, a good ending for. So I highly recommend that. And anything else? I wanna, you know, what I'm gonna go off the wall here and recommend a third movie. Uh, it is a Japanese Invisible Man movie called The Invisible Man Appears. Um, oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's uh, Arrow just put out a set includes this movie and The Invisible Man versus the Human Fly, and they're just wacky and fun, uh, sort of like uh,
1: uh,
2: I don't want to say bad special effects, but they're not good special effects either. But uh, it. It's so interesting to see their take on The Invisible Man and how it turns into like this crime thriller where the mob or like the, 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 <laughs> the not the mob, the, uh, why can I think here, the, uh, someone's going to fill it in with me. The Yakuza. The uh, Yakuza, there we go. Where the Yakuza are getting involved. And it also does a very interesting thing that I'm shocked that no other Invisible Man movie has done that I've seen, wherein that people pretend to be the Invisible Man by just wrapping themselves up in bandages <laughs> because how are you going to know if you're invisible under there? So it's a great uh great who done it sort of who's the real invisible man? Uh, so I, I just appreciate that as a oddity of film history.:
0: Oh, huh, interesting, yeah i I I've swore off buying box sets and shit uh, earlier of this year to save money because I need to not spend as much and that at not, least is,
2: not, not to <coughs> be an enabler, but yeah. I am an enabler. It's not really a box set. it's a single, uh, it's a single disc.
0: Okay, that's much better. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have to, I have to manage it down to like a couple times a year at the most, at this point.
2: That's that's fair and understandable, but I will still enable you.
0: Yeah. Uh, oh, I think there's a Criterion sale coming up in a month or two, so I might, yeah. I might break down. I probably will. I mean, so for me, uh uh, is it safe to say late spring? I mean everyone if you're listening to this you probably know late spring. Uh, uh Ozu, Patsukorhara. Uh Joel, your your dad is in it. Yep. No, not your dad. Uh the other guy.
1: No, it's 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 Chishu, Ch-
0: Chichu- Chishu Ryu. Yes. Yeah. Who uh, Ozu family said he's not a great actor, but no, no, he's not a good actor, but he's great for me.
1: Huh. I disagree. Uh, yeah. That he does great in general.
0: I've only seen him play, play like, that Ozu dad character. But, uh, yeah, Late Spring is a classic for a reason. Tsutsukuhara, uh, it, like, in the West, we know her for Ozu stuff, but that was, uh, but, like, in Japan, she was already a huge movie star. Uh, so, like, when she started working with Ozu, it was just kind of like, oh, like, the big movie stars working with this other person now. It wasn't, like, uh, like a big like big discovery thing, like, the way it's kind of talked about over here. Because a lot of stuff is not available. Some is, because she's in two Kurosawa's at that point. At least one.
1: I think it might just be I one. I think she's only in the one, isn't yeah.
0: she? She's in The Idiot, which is the 50s. Oh,
1: okay, that's right.
0: The idiot and the um, the propag- the sort of propaganda one. Yes,
1: the one. The hold on, I'm looking. I
0: cannot remember the movie. It
1: is called No Regrets
0: for Our Youth. Yes, that's it. Yeah, so like oh. no, she is a big star, but uh, she's uh, I think one of the greatest actresses of the 20th century, if not the greatest. That changes that change day to day. And uh, she has another movie Another movie that year that Joel, you'll probably pick, so I won't say it Uh Yeah, the Lost episode The We were talking about before we started recording Yes Yeah, I'm saving that, so I'm not going to take that from you Uh, this is a movie I haven't seen, but Based off of the discussion from the La Samurai episode Uh, there's a Madame uh, Bovary French is French is a bullshit language. <laughs> um, an adaptation of that famous story by Vincent Vanelli from this year that I just learned about, and was uh, looking at the cast Louis Jourdan, uh, James Mason, and Jennifer Jones, so uh, I am very interested. Uh, I'm I'm sure it's not as good as the uh, Gibral version with Isabelle Huppert, but I still. I still am very curious in watching this adaptation. Any books? Uh, I didn't... This is before the big African literature movement, so, uh, uh... Besides that, no. I think maybe Red Harvest came out around this time, but Red Harvest is just an okay book. I don't think it's great. Inspiration... For a couple
1: of great movies and some other really crappy ones. Yes,
0: they, the Yojimbo really improved on the source material. It's, that's, it's a pretty, it's a good book. It's, I don't, I don't think it's really a classic by any stretch.
1: Right. Okay. Should I go?
0: If you feel like it.
1: Okay, I don't feel like it. So, uh, I don't know what movie you're talking about. Are you talking about uh, Here's to the Young Lady or yes, something? that movie. Okay. I didn't remember that it was A, a lost episode, and B, that it was a movie I watched. <laughs> oh. So, um... I mean, I vaguely remember it, but, like, the the ones that stand out are the Kurosawa ones because she's not playing, like, this kind of, like, oh um, shy... Or sometimes stubborn woman that just hasn't gotten married yet. You know, she she's not a burden, but she is kind of a burden. Yeah, kind she of takes like, care of other people
0: and whatever. I've seen, I've seen some people say that's queer coding for Ozu. Because it's speculated he might have been in a closet his whole life. Or it could
1: just be a movie. Who knows? Yeah, it yeah, could <laughs>
0: be. But uh, I've seen, like, there's... I can I can find it again, but there's like a queer reading of late spring I came across a while ago. Here, let's see this one.
1: Nope, that's not good either. Okay. okay, so I'm just gonna do the two Kurosawas. Uh, so two two movies by the famous Japanese director Akira Kurosawa came out. We they were both covered in episodes when this podcast was called high and low a kurosawa podcast all that stuff is available if you look at our podbean be- pod feed and uh, probably in probably in other podcast aggregate apps but not iTunes or Apple Podcasts, right
0: correct there's uh, we- issue with the uh, logo size even though it's the correct size
1: yeah just couldn't figure it out.
0: Yeah.
1: Anyways, so the, the first one I will talk about is the movie The Quiet Duel. I desperately need to rewatch this movie because I I think Spencer and I had at least similar reactions to it, but our guests who were from um uh, is it Dark Black or Dark Room, Bright Wall.
0: Uh Bright or Wall bar- Dark Room.
1: Okay, yeah. They they were they loved it. This is like one of their favorite, Kurosawa, if not their favorite Kurosawa. And I, I felt bad about that, uh, and that was earlier on when we were just getting deeper into this stuff and really learning like what it was like to talk about these kind of movies and experience these kind of movies. But the the story is our our best friend Toshiro Mifune is playing a doctor, and he has a woman who's been waiting to marry him ever since he got back from the war. And for some reason he just keeps, he's telling her like, you need to move on. We can't get married. And you find out that he has uh, syphilis and it's not because he was, um, you know, fooling around with somebody else or anything on the side. He was doing his job as a doctor and a patient came in who did not report that he had syphilis. And it just takes one cut. The cure... I believe in the movie they say that the cure takes like seven years to actually work. So he's just been quietly working on this, not complaining to anybody. And there, I remember a very powerful scene where he finally lets, lets all this information out about it. And um, I think it's to a, a nurse...
0: Yes, it the nurse is Noriko Sengoku. She's in a couple was She's the mom in Blind Beast. If you've seen that movie,
1: Mm-mm.
0: Blind Beast is a. Weird this one movie. has. Yeah.
1: This one has my father in it, Takashi Shimura. Yes. Although I don't remember what he does.
0: He's the father. Fig- He's like I think he is the dad of Toshio's character. Oh, okay. Not, not not the father figure, but the biological dad.
1: Right. I can be your father figure. No. Uh, yeah, so that is a good one. I gave it two and a half stars at the time. It's my middle range. Like, I don't really know how I feel about it. So, yeah, I really need to rewatch it. But the other one that came out, and I, if you haven't seen this Kurosawa movie, like, if you're only familiar with his historical fiction stuff his samurai movies stray dog is an amazing movie like my I I think I've watched it three mm-hmm. no I watched it two times because the first time i I was like I loved it and then I had to watch it again just for the podcast and it's it's I mean is a detective. Toshiro Mufune, once again, playing a it's, different kind of character.
0: It's uh, it's House noir, his first noir. Well, Drunken mm. Angels, kind of. But this is like a proper noir.
1: Yeah. And he makes a mistake. It, you know, guns are illegal in Japan. You have to be a police officer to have them, and he loses his. Somebody ends up starting to kill people with that gun. So he has to, he's kind of a wet behind the ears newbie like this was a mistake and now he spends the movie trying to track down this guy and we sometimes spend time with the killer um which is you can't really like place when is gonna catch up with him because this guy is I mean he's crazy whether it's PTSD or something else that's going on there's no pattern but just the way that Yeah, it all unfolds with him figuring out what's going on. And uh, my dad is like his partner at some point, uh, Takashi Shamira. He's not my dad, by the way, just in case you really (laughs) thought he was my father. He doesn't look like my father in this movie because he doesn't have that mustache. Um, Uh, I I don't feel like I'm doing a good enough job of selling Stray Dog if anyone else wants to join in.
0: It should be considered a classic noir up there with like the... Humphrey Bogart movies
1: or with the
0: third man for God's sake yeah uh, Dave have you seen Dave uh, Stray have, Dog
2: <laughs> I've seen Stray Dog which I quite like and I think that that's the one where like the, there's the heat wave throughout yes. the movie yep. right that is mm-hmm. such a wonderful I know Kurosawa loves you using weather to kind of evoke a mood but I feel like it might be done the best there especially just as you're just waiting for the rain at the end to just break the heat uh yeah. something i need to, i i need to watch that movie again and i need to find the quiet duel i've never seen that one
0: um i You'd remember liking it, it. okay <laughs> but i don't mate yeah it's, it, got, it's, it's got a
2: good setup but uh yeah yeah stray dog is uh i think it's one of those ones that i'm like i'll watch it again when a blu-ray gets released and i, I don't think i can wait any longer
0: <laughs> yeah uh who is it uh Stray Dog has a first appearance in a Kurosawa movie by one of the guys from Hound Fortress, the taller one, uh, Minoru uh, Chiaki, who was supposed to be a star of Quiet Duel, but the producers said, why not get the Toshiro guy? He's more bankable uh, as a movie star. <laughs> and so <laughs> Chiaki didn't get the star in The Quiet Duel.
1: Yeah. Oh, Chiaki, isn't It... it- Ikiru. He's in High and Low. Yeah. Rashomon. I, I think
0: the other, I think the other guy is in it too. The other peasant from Pin Fortress. Oh, uh, let me see. Or it might be another early one.
1: Said, cut uh, it, Kamatari Fujiwara.
0: I believe so. Yes, that's him. Yep. So they're both in the movie.
1: Yep. Oh, well, uh are they both in
0: Are they um I I can't remember. No, he's he, C- 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 he's Hada. not
1: in Stray Dog.
0: Okay. He's in another early one before that in a small bit role that If you if you watch the Lot Kurosawa, you, uh, you'll notice them immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and uh en- Enrico uh San also in Stray Dog this is when Kurosawa would use uh, her a lot and then he kind of stopped using her by Seven Samurai
1: all these things like I want to compare Stray Dog to High and Low because I mean they, they've got that whole detective side plot that's going on where well goes <laughs> out what is he mowing the lawn at one point mm-hmm. I can't remember yeah talking about his shoes
0: yeah so uh yeah that uh so dave uh you're on podcasts a lot uh occasionally uh,
1: i
2: I show up every so often
0: yeah like like uh you know you you gotta keep that youth youthful look youthful look going so exactly so so, um uh, what have you been doing lately have you been on uh uh wrong reel or talk I, I have
2: I have when we uh, when we recorded our Judex episode uh, earlier this year I know that there was a delay between the recording and its release uh, you, you shamed me with that question because my answer was I haven't done anything uh, so oh. since then and mm-hmm. now uh, I was on wrong reel where I talked with James and John Lobinger about the films of Ernst Lubitsch so that is definitely something that's worth checking out because uh, he made some pretty great comedies uh, in Hollywood in the uh, in the '30s and '40s, and obviously he made some great movies in Germany as well. But we did not talk about any of those.
0: Okay, uh, that's a guy I need to watch more of. Classic Hollywood is a huge blind spot, which is part he, of why he like-
2: really he really set the standard, the gold standard for for romantic comedies. And a lot of uh, talk about someone that really people try to still emulate today.
0: Hmm. Um, Anything else or any? No, I was on an
2: episode uh, talking about Judex on a podcast that you guys Uh know uh, yours. (laughs) That's the only other podcast I've done recently. Yeah, we're
1: still talking about Judex. Isn't that such a great movie?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is so good. Yeah, uh, I I saw a face is a classic for a reason, but man, Judex I I like better.
2: Yeah, it's hard it's hard for me to pick it over Eyes Without a Face, but talk about rewatchability, Judex has it. Okay. That movie has a weird like September vibe for me, like not quite hmm. not quite fall, but getting there. I don't know. Yeah,
0: mm, yep. I get that. All right, uh, Jade Dog, you got stuff. Oh wait, I, uh, oh, wait, yeah. Dave, are you uh, your Twitter, oh. Facebook? Oh, oh face, yeah, whatever. you can
2: find me on t- on Twitter at Cinema versus Dave. That is Cinema, vs Dave. Yeah.
1: And how's that battle
2: going? Cinema's winning. Oh, <laughs> by by a long shot. Yeah. They keep making more movies. I uh, hard to keep
1: up. <laughs> yeah, it is. But most of them are not cinema, at least. <laughs> <laughs> That yeah, and, uh, that's a, a, a decent decent
2: answer there.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, you picked Al- Almodovar for next season, but because uh, you're a Bergman guy, uh, you, you're uh, by default you have to be on the Bergman episode.
2: Fair, I will do it. Sign me up.
0: Yeah, uh, Autumn Sonata, I believe, is the one. I have to rewatch Perfect. that movie again to remember w- which one it is.
2: It's it's the one set in autumn. It's uh, also uh, the only time that he worked with Ingrid Bergman.
0: How oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Even though
1: they were like cousins, no, they were not I, I don't related, think they were related at all. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a Hepburn situation. Yep. All right. Uh, J Dog, do you have stuff coming out?
1: No, I don't have any fucking stuff. No, I just. I, <laughs> well, okay. the first episode, the first of the new episodes of Please Don't Send Me Outer Space, has finally dropped. It's got this guy named Spencer on it, because that's, I mean, Spencer's the perfect first guest for any podcast, and continuing okay. podcast, okay. of course, uh, where we talk about a movie called Burst City, which, uh, give, give me a one-sentence, like, description of Burst City, Spencer.
0: Uh, um, uh, punk rock, uh, uh, oh, who's that guy, punk rock, uh, a post-war Japanese film.
1: It's got like um, it, it's somehow a message movie, but also like this incredibly messy. Like, I don't know. Like, I, we we when we talked I, about it, I was I, saying I, it gives me Repo Man vibes, but Repo Man feels more put together than Burst City does. But like, it makes such an interesting product.
0: Yeah. Think. Thing. I think like Black River or like the post-war movies, but set in the '80s, and it's a punk movie, and it's kind of a sci-fi movie.
1: Yeah, you're kind of worried at some point it might go into some Tetsu of the Iron Man's, <laughs> because uh, people just have like they have like metal claws for hands because I mean you don't get an explanation, but no. it's like touching on a weird future that doesn't. As far as I know, exist. <laughs> was there a part in Japan where uh, the country was doing so good that all the people were rebelling by not doing things?
0: Uh the yakuza have, you know, are doing construction stuff, so it it kind of is real.
1: Yeah, see, that's that's the grounding part of it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. So it's the story is about a lot of different things and nothing at all at the same time. But two weirdos come out of nowhere, join a band of uh, forcibly retired uh, mine workers or whatever. Yeah. And that's that's a whole thing that happens, which also mix into the Yakuza plot where there is a prostitute that one of the big bosses just likes to have because she will let her him torture her and that's a side story that doesn't even include what I would think of as the main draw, which is a punk rock band, very uh, Hard Day's Night style. Oh, yeah, yeah. Without, like, as many of the, like, well, it doesn't have, like, Richard, uh, whatever his name Lester. Richard Lester's goofy, like... <laughs> Uh joke style or anything like that, but it feels like it's it's just like, what are these guys like when they're not rocking out? Oh they're fucking weird
0: <laughs> one, yeah, one of the sex doll that he likes to brush her teeth it's yeah, that that
1: revolts you though
0: it's fucking gross, man,
1: <laughs> and they're all a representation of this whole youth movement that's happening, like people the kids just all get together. They rock out, or yeah. they it, race against each other, and
0: yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's it's an experience because there's not really much of a plot, which is kind of the point. It's an
1: experience, man. And right after that, uh, soon to be out, maybe in a week or two, is going to be an episode on the movie THX 1138, famous for being. George Lucas's first real movie and after seeing it like I feel like I don't know, that movie really really worked for me in -hmm. the same way that Blade Runner or um, Logan's Run to a lesser degree worked for me Mm -hmm. in sci-fi concepts and I feel like it's just kind of like eh, oh yeah, this was his first movie so you could see what kind of sci-fi he was kind of into, but not talked about as the, like the really interesting art experience it is.
0: And Sid So Hague. we'll get into that. What's that? And Sid Haig is in it too.
1: Oh, and Sid Haig is in it. He
0: is in that.
1: Playing a character that looks and acts like Sid Haig in real life. No, I don't know if he does. It looks like him though.
0: Yeah, he, he is in it. That's the reason I've almost watched it several times. Uh, yes, yeah, so
1: and, and uh, huh? sorry, the other person that I think people don't know that's in it is our good friend from the Halloween series, whose name I'm drawing a blank Donald on. Peasants? Donald Pleasance, Donald Pleasance, yes.
0: Oh, I I have to see this now. I, I'm yes. very interested.
1: He, I mean, he's every time I see Donald Pleasance in a movie, it's it goes up like 10%. I'm yeah. pretty because sure so that
2: they got a bunch of bald people because no one wanted to shave their heads. So, like, yeah. sit, hey, Donald Pleasants, get in here. Yeah, uh, I yeah. saw Sinead O'Connor.
1: I saw yeah. Professor
0: Professor Xavier. Yul Brynner's still alive. He could have been in that. Yep.
2: What's the guy mm-hmm. from the Smashing Pumpkins?
0: Oh, Billy Corrigan?
2: Yeah, he was there Cor- from the future.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: and Jeff Bezos. Yeah.
0: In, yeah,
2: And Elon Musk circa 1998. <laughs> oh, yeah
0: yeah uh oh that for you j-dog um uh yeah i'm own?
1: sorry i'm, I'm done
0: <laughs> okay and we have a separate show arbitrary indiscriminate movie podcast um i, I don't know We it, it really depends on our work schedules ultimately and yes
1: that that's like a passion project and fun project for you me and melanie daniels uh, Yes. Yeah. There, I have an episode that I haven't released yet on the movie, the Disney movie Pinocchio, and that's we get into a lot of fun tangents. We we talk a lot about like how we felt when we first saw the movie Pinocchio. I just haven't edited it yet, yeah. but I'll get on that very soon.
0: Yeah, we have our wrestling episode coming up with a friend of the show, friend of friend in real life, Dan- Daniel no, Danny Stearns, not Daniel. Joel, you're dumbass joke. Danny a the f- Manny Stearns. The first episode he is on, you call him Daniel Stearns the whole time. Like, okay, it's Danny Stern's. It's it's he's not the actor Daniel Stern. Anyway, Who uh, me? I
1: was calling him Daniel Stern.
0: Yeah, as like a, as a dumb joke. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh Danny returns, talk about wrestling. It's I have not recorded it yet, but it's we're talking about Ready to Rumble the two thousand movie. And, and it's gonna be a whole lot of wrestling talking I'm sure Joel, you'll have not much to say for long stretches.
1: I mean, I could do some homework if you give me it.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, okay, yeah, I might have for something, Alice. Uh, yes, Melanie, she she's she's been a fan longer than I have. She can p- point you to the right direction. All right for me, I have. Uh, I'm writing for Grumpire regularly now. I have another thing coming out. In a few weeks, on uh, Indian action movie, I forgot which uh forgot which one, cause uh, I'm writing about another foreign action movie, uh, coming out I, th- I think a week from today, uh, that's coming out on Shutter, I-, I claim that one for, uh, the next action movie collection thing they do, and. Yeah, uh, so um, uh, I've will have stuff. I have also already have stuff on there to begin with, on in the June, July action movie, no May June action movie thing to do every other month, and uh, it's just like like re- quick reviews of recent action movies. So I, I'm a regular on those now, and I uh, hopefully my thing I wrote I started for them over a year ago will be done this year, but I can't guarantee that. And, uh, that's it. Uh, Dave, thanks for your time.
2: Thank you for having me once again.
0: Uh, you're very welcome. You're always welcome. And, uh, uh, we'll see you guys next time for, I think I have like four or five episodes left. I don't know which one's first, but it's the piano player. Um. So the, that's that's the last one.
1: Oh, okay. Uh,
0: oh, it's coming up. Yeah, it's coming up. <laughs> Maybe Jewel's and Jim is the next one. I'm not really Ooh. sure, but uh, yeah, something. All right. The show can be found on Twitter at PianoPlayerPod. Our email is still highandlowpod at gmail.com. You can find a show on Spotify, Podbean, and various other places where you can find podcasts. Our intro music is by Vivian Fopp. And our cover art is by Sarah Roberts. You can find her art at SarahKathleenRoberts.com. And thank you for listening.